Welcome back to the Real World HR podcast. We're starting with 2024 with our new podcasts that are all lined up, so we're looking forward to having some amazing guests that are going to be talking over the course of the next few months. So the Real World HR podcast is putting the human back into HR. I'm Louise Kennedy, HR expert, Chartered CIPD professional and founder of award-winning HR consultancy Oculus HR. In the Real World HR podcast, we focus on people and business, telling the stories that we've learned from and explaining the processes which have supported the solutions. On this episode, I'm joined by Oculus HR team who are back again. We're delving into some pressing topics from the world of HR. Throughout our discussion, we'll not only share our first-hand experiences, but we'll also offer valuable advice to assist you in navigating these challenges within your own business and career. Are you ready to step into the real world of HR? So thanks very much for coming along, ladies. I really appreciate that you've taken the time to come here. And just so we can kind of update and and kind of regenerate where we're at from last time. The last recording that we did was about April time in 2023. So we thought it was really good to get the team back together again and talk about things that we've experienced over the last few months, just to be able to give our audience, our listeners, that that mindset of what are the hot topics that are taking place and what are the conversations that are taking place for us on a regular basis. So just to kind of give a little bit of a recap last year, obviously we had such a busy year and those people who listen to us on social media or watch us on social media will certainly have known about it because we've shouted about it enough. But we celebrated 10 years of business, which was phenomenal for us. And obviously from a personal achievement point of view, it was a, it was a massive success. We, at the end of the year, won Business of the Year for the We Side Business Women Awards. That was kind of the first awards that the, the We Business did. So we're absolutely off the moon with that and obviously all credit to the team for being part of that and taking us on the journey. A few weeks after that, I won the Entrepreneur of the Year Awards for the Sunderland Excellent Awards, which previously we won the highly commended for the small business. So that made a massive difference with regard to kind of who we are and what we're doing. And again, just kind of some recognition of the business as it goes forward. And then our other couple of awards that we were put in for and shortlisted for was the Service Industry Awards for the Great British Entrepreneur Awards. And we were obviously shortlisted to the final for that. And then one that really stands out for us was the Small HR Consultancy Award for Personnel Today. So that was down to the final five in the whole of the UK. So some massive recognition from what it is that we've done and all credit to, to you guys in the team for helping us to get to where it is that we are today. So I think as we spoke last time, Claire was just joining us full time. She'd been here for two days a week over the last year, two days and slightly more, but she's now full time with us. So Claire, how's that been for you? (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe that it's only been six months that I've done full time. It's been really good. Lots of different clients working with some people that I've worked with in the past when paths have crossed again. And then... I think really working closely with Deb and yourself and Haley around how we really meet our client needs and what we're doing and how we drive things forward. So it's been a bit of a whirlwind, but really, really exciting and really interesting and looking forward to what else is coming along. Yeah. So we've kind of got lots of other things and obviously we'll talk about things today as well. So, And Deb obviously just keeps on doing the do, don't you, Deb? I do, I do. <laughs> just, we just keep going, don't we? You just keep on moving all the time. And obviously we're working with some of all different size clients now. And I know obviously you've got some of our bigger clients that you take the lead on there as well. So it's something different each day, isn't it? To kind of new challenges and new opportunities that are coming through as well. It is. And I think some of the bigger clients as well, there are some things that are very different and are very specific because the bigger clients but 
sometimes you know everyone has the same kind of issues to deal with don't they yeah it's good so we've had a real positive since we've last done our podcast together i think we've had a, a really great five six months really i think we're, we're all feeling dead positive so we've got quite a few different areas that we thought we'd have a conversation about today and one of them which is is hot on the press really all the time in different networking situations that I've been to in different publications that are around and about certainly within the businesses that we're dealing with is very much around culture culture is something that's coming up time and time and time again and it's something that's really businesses need to ensure that it's underpinned within within what it is that they're doing and we'll kind of talk through what the benefit of understanding your own culture is We've got a client at the moment that we've talked to about culture and just as probably a, a quick starting point is they keep telling us that it's a great culture. You know, we've got a great culture. We, we do really well. It's a great culture. But when we've actually sat down with them to discuss the culture, it's been really, really difficult for them to put it into words what the culture is. They understand that what they're doing is right and that they're saying the employees are engaged. They've got really low levels of people leaving the business. So the retention's really good, but they still can't put put into words what the culture actually is and what not so much the values because they understand the values but it's kind of verbalizing the culture claire what what's your thoughts around culture and kind of the part that it plays within the business i think for me culture underpins everything and i think people do struggle to articulate when culture is to them but they know when it's not right and they know what it needs to be but they can't maybe verbalize that and i think our role is to help them really think about that and and really provoke their thinking around what do they want their people to say about that business? How do they want to feel when they're coming in? How would they describe it to their friends when they're out on a Friday night about where they work? That's what businesses want. And I think some businesses need to give that attention because I think if they don't, that can really be the root cause for some of their other issues that they've got that maybe we get involved in. And so talking to people about it at the minute, it's a real light bulb moment for some of them. For some of them, it's like we know that we need to do some work on it. Or we know we've got a good culture, but we don't know how to articulate that. We don't know how to share that with our employees. It's just something we know. But I think you need to be able to articulate because I think knowing isn't enough. And I think if you want your business to grow and drive forward and really have your people with you, you've really got to give it some time and attention. And it does take an investment of both time and attention, but actually the rewards and the output you get are second to none. So I think it, you don't give that attention, it'll be at your peril for your business. Yeah, and I think Deb, we have got businesses that aren't as great with the culture, isn't it? Do you want to just kind of talk around the impact of if a business has got a culture, well, well a bad culture really, you know, the type of things that could happen within that business that creates a culture which kind of becomes quite negative? What type of things do you see? Because obviously we talk about all sorts of different areas around grievance and engagement and people leaving the business and the quick turnover is a lot of it. But have you got some kind of examples of what you think like a, a bad culture would be? I'm just thinking if we can kind of make a comparison against kind of the bad and the good, really. Mm-hmm. I think where you've got a bad culture or where you've got people who are not working within the culture that you want, I think it's demonstrated in, in lots of different ways. I think in terms of maybe their interactions with clients, maybe they're not putting the message across in the way that you would want, or even in the way that they behave towards each other. I think it's it's it does come out, as you say, in grievances, it comes out in disciplinary situations. You know, you, you have all sorts of problems that come from that. It stops the business from thriving and stops the people within that business from thriving as well, that sometimes even the people who do strongly believe in the culture and what the business is trying to achieve, there's an effect on them 
from the people that are affected by the culture not being not being right not and not being, being the way that it it should be and the way that the business leaders want it to be. Yeah. And it's quite easy for a business to fall into having bad culture, isn't it? So, as you say, when you get a grievance put in, or an example would be if somebody was involved in a, in a fight on the factory floor, the actions that the business needs to be seen to be doing. So let's take a fight on the factory floor. You know, we know that that's unacceptable, don't we? And from our point of view, I think we all kind of nod and agree to say, well, actually, our, our output of that would be, actually, that's a, it's a gross misconduct. It's certainly... If it's a lead person, shouldn't be kind of rolling around on the factory floor having a fight. But then it's thinking our advice would be gross misconduct from that point. But then what the business decides to do for it, because I always say everybody watches, don't they? So it's not just yeah. always about kind of what happens with those individuals that are involved with that. But I think the, the workforce watches the business owners or directors' reaction on how they're going to manage and deal with the situation, which I, I think a lot of people miss sometimes. They do, and I think that is one of the points that management underpinning this culture all the time, live in this culture, that it's not just words on a mission statement or in company documents. It's something that needs to be carried through all of the time, that everyone understands that people will look to managers to see what action they're taking. In one of our clients that does have a, a strong culture, one of the things that comes through when I speak to people that are, are leaving the business, they might not, you know, they're moving on to a different job, they, they don't have that connection with the business anymore but they will always agree that the culture is there yeah and then in one of the messages that comes through is that managers portray that culture all the time through their actions everyone is pulling in the same direction I think it's about um, them it's leading by example, isn't it? Because yes. I think people, whether it be on a shop floor or a factory or wherever, I think they look to see how their managers respond to situations. They're setting the tone. They lead by example. Is that behaviour acceptable? If Well, if that's the standard, I know that's what I can behave like and I, I know what's expected. And so if that's a lower standard or the manager isn't acknowledging the challenges that are there, then actually it has a negative effect on the people, as Deb says, around, well, if that's allowed here, do I want to work in a business like that? Yeah. Actually, I think I want to work somewhere else where it's more aligned to my values and I know what's acceptable and what isn't and that the managers will stand by that. And I think that is, is what culture is about. And I think, you know, when we do do exit interviews, like Deb says, they very much talk about what it feels like to work somewhere. I think when people leave the business, they do it for whatever reasons. If it's want to progress their career or one that this isn't a fit, how are they made to feel when they leave? Is it actually that door shut and don't ever come over here again or is it actually we wish you well because again that's an indication of the culture and that external viewpoint isn't it because what's the first thing they're going to say when they go to their new business about how yeah. they felt when they left when they left I think there's a there's a couple of points I want to pick up on there one's about values which we'll come back to in a second but I think when we're talking about culture we're very much talking about kind of that internal culture of how people feel and how they work and kind of as we said people stay engaged with the business and what it is that they're doing but it's about making sure that that culture is out in the public domain as well isn't it so when we think about how people perceive the business and how that information is put out there so actually you know when it comes on to things like recruitment that people know exactly what they're buying into when they do it because actually there's information that's available whether that's on socials or whether it's on the website or whether it's just people talking the culture is not just the internal part of it it's also about how you brand the culture externally as well would you yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. i think people look now the research where they're Mm going to work yeah you know we talk about the shift in sands of recruitment and how that looks and feels for businesses but i think we need to be really clear that 
a candidate is interviewing that business to see if it's a business they want to be part of, yeah. not just the business scene if that candidate's going to fit what they're looking for. And they look on socials, they look mm-hmm. on, you know, Indeed, on Glassdoor to see what, what are people saying about it. People that work in businesses are the biggest advocate for your business. Yeah. That'll be whether someone determines whether or not that's a business they want to work in. And if it's positive things that they hear and see and can read about that's great if it's not then actually what is that reputational damage having on your business that's culture it touches all aspects both internally and externally so before we kind of move too much on the recruitment because i think it's such a hot topic in our businesses i just want to kind of move back to that values part of it so when we talk about culture we talk about very often we talk a company needs to identify what their values are which underpins the culture which in essence kind of has the effect within the business But I think the more that you speak to people, it's very much about, you know, you're talking about people choose where they're going to work, really. So I think for all people don't necessarily define them themselves. Well, people have their own personal values, don't they? They have their own personal standards of what's acceptable in life and what's not and how they live and kind of what their expectations are within their own lives, whether that's through work or personally. You kind of have a, I suppose, in essence, a, a bar in place of kind of what you would be prepared to work up to. And then I think that it's important that people understand what, they want out of something, you know, like as of out of the job or out of the role or out of a relationship or, or whatever it may be. But then those values need to fit in line with what the company's values are, doesn't it? So when companies are trying to define the culture, they also need to be thinking about what the values are of the culture to ensure that actually when it comes on to different processes, people are fully aware that it, it fits and it's aligned with who, with who they are and what they are. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. I don't know whether people describe it as values necessarily. I don't think they know that, but they know if it fits it and they yeah. know if they're yeah. aligned with the direction, isn't it? And I think you're right. Everyone has like a personal standard, a personal bar that they've set mm-hmm. of what they deem is acceptable and, and not acceptable. And, and, you know, some of that's based on your life experience. Some of yeah. it's based on home, work, social, isn't it? About what you deem acceptable and what isn't. And I think to work somewhere and be with people... When you spend a lot of time there, you've, you've got to have them aligned. Yeah, and I think that fits in. Well, there's there's a few different things going through my mind here as, as we're kind of having the conversation, but that fits in around, you know, when people are going to the workplace and some people go into it and they think, this is great, this is exactly where I want to be, you know, this fits for me, this is this is perfect. But then you go into other places. I, was, I spoke to a lady the other day and her daughter had become an architect and just come out of uni and, and tried different companies and went to very traditional architect businesses. And it just wasn't a fit for her. Then she managed to find this job and actually just was completely about her. It was about her values. And she just said it was so lovely to kind of see her understand and what she wanted and what she didn't want to be able to then fit into a business where she just feels like she's going to just thrive and kind of flourish as a female with an architecture. And so that was a lovely conversation, but I think that's so prevalent in everything that we do, isn't it? Because you have those standards and that person was a young person doing it, but I think they've potentially got the standards in place in their own mind of what they want to be able to experience isn't it yeah and so often when we speak to clients and they've recruited someone and I mean we all hear it so often it hasn't worked out Mm -hmm. it's not working and I think that's generally the issue that they've recruited someone and the the values are not aligned yeah yeah and they they don't fit in with that organization they don't fit in with that organization's culture and Mm -hmm. maybe that's an issue with their recruitment process but it, it obviously hasn't carried through and then they end up with an employee where it doesn't work for either side does it yeah it's disengaged and actually when I was doing the podcast recently around employment engagement one of the things that they were saying around you know if you've got someone in your business that's disengaged or been brought into the business and isn't the right fit for the business 
actually the process, you know, we, you know, people put a cost against it, don't they? You know, it's going to cost £20,000 when you need to recruit somebody. And the simplicity of that is, well, it doesn't cost that amount of money to bring somebody in. But actually, if you're replacing somebody, you've gone through a process where someone's not particularly happy, there's a reason for it, whether they feel a bit aggrieved or they're just a bit uncertain about what it is that they're doing and they just don't want to be there anymore. That might take two or three months. Then they think, actually, I'm going to leave. That might take two or three months to find the job. So then you obviously get someone who obviously tries to find the new job, then they put the notice in. So really, there could be a period of time where over seven, eight, nine months that they're disengaged, then they leave, then you bring the new person in. And then if you haven't got that fit right for that new person coming in, that actually, yes, you might have had a recruitment cost or you might have done the recruitment yourself, but actually you're then going through that probation period where you've done the training, you've put the time, you've put the effort into getting that person in, you've paid the salary for it, and then it doesn't work out in the probation period. So really... In essence, you've wasted a year, haven't you? Yeah. You it's know, a big investment. That has a big investment. So when we just think about that process of making sure that people are engaged, it's, it's probably more important than ever to understand that actually what will happen, you know, if someone becomes disengaged within the business, if the culture fit isn't right for them, if it doesn't line with the values, then you bring somebody in. If it's not the right person, then, you know, they're going to leave as well. And then you start on that whole process again. So it's, again, it's just something from a thought process point of view. What do we think around employment engagement? Obviously, how do we kind of take an evaluation of that? Because there's only there's only a handful of our businesses doing that at the moment. But I think the more that we talk about the culture and the values, I think the more prominent that needs to be. And certainly something that's built into what it is that we're helping and providing and supporting and delivering. I think that's, that's becoming more and more important. What do you think about that? So I think for me, I think employee engagement is is really about businesses and the leaders feeling comfortable to ask their people what it feels like to work here and then acting on it so the worst thing to do is to do a survey to tick a box to say well we spoke to everybody but then not act on that because actually it takes a lot for people to fill the survey in. and I don't mean in time I just mean in their thinking in what they want to say and what they're trying to get across and if they haven't had an opportunity to do that before the free comments boxes are always the key ones. The the tick box and the, you know, pick from strongly agree to disagree, you know, that doesn't really do it for people. It's like an opportunity for them to see how it feels here. For me, that is really key. And I think businesses don't do it because they're frightened of what their people are going to say and actually then what do they need to do about it? And they think, oh, it'll just go away and it'll be fine. If that's how you're going to do it, then that has a massive impact on your culture back to that. Mm -hmm. And actually, why wouldn't you want to hear from them? For me, in my experience, if you ask the people, they'll tell you the answers. The art of a good leader is listening and doing something about it. And that's where I think we can come in and help navigate what is being said to them, what does the actions look like and what's that output going to give you and how's that going to benefit your people and your business? Because if you have your people happy, they'll stay and they'll want to do what you need them to do and they'll fulfil the rules and they'll drive your business forward, which is what which is what it's about. Yeah, and I think a few points from what you're saying there, you know, it, it's easy to be able to give somebody a survey, which is a tick box, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And actually you then get that information back and you pop it in the drawer. But then it's that's not making any difference, not making any changes, it's not, it's not making any impact within the business. It's about how you then take that information that's done and then make sure that actually, whether it's in your senior leadership meetings or whether it's your middle management, whatever it is, or at your board meetings, that stays on the agenda. These were hot topics that came up. Let's kind of make sure that throughout the year that we're looking at that and reevaluating. And I think just even putting very short surveys in place, maybe it's once a quarter, gives a real good touch base points 
good temperature check yeah of what it is and I think my opinion probably initially is when someone launches that it's about how do you get people to make sure that they engage with it and complete it and very often I think probably initially people would put things on that they're aggrieved about you know that actually it's rubbishy because of this or this doesn't work or you know we've never had a coffee machine or you know people put things in that they're a bit aggrieved about that they've never mentioned to anybody but then if they then see the results of that, so you get your quarterly review back and actually there's a couple of quick wins that you could do through that, make a couple of changes, your feedback that you've made changes based upon the information, then actually more people are more willing to yeah. to input in the next time. So hopefully it should then generate information to be able to create a real strong position from a cultural point of view. Yeah, I think it is doing that and having that commitment that that is what you're going to do with it because mm-hmm. I think if you do get people to actually fill the questionnaire and you do nothing with it, mm-hmm. then you do more damage because generally they're just messages that actually it's just filling a form in, isn't it? Nobody yeah. listens. It's just lip something service. that, yeah, uh-huh. they pay lip service to it. But actually, yeah, sometimes there are just some quick wins. I think there are always some surprises in a survey as well of things that actually pleasant or otherwise but there usually are some that you are pleased with the results as well and as you say you carry it forward and people can see that action that you're taking yeah I think one of the points that I've just thought of there must have been about four or five years ago or something I remember somebody new coming in this particular business he was a CEO role and he said we're going to do an employee survey now I'm just going to prepare you all I think this is it's not going to come back very good it's going to be really negative and actually the results came back were all very very positive mm-hmm. and actually they had a really good retention and that CEO just hadn't picked up that gauge of what the temperature was within mm. the business and actually it was all very very positive feedback that came back from it which was very surprising from his point of view so it's quite interesting isn't it because actually you potentially think oh it's going to be terrible but then you get this positivity back and it's how you Take that positivity and how you grow with it, what you're going to do with it, and actually how are you going to make it better again? You know, how are you going to keep people engaged with it? I think the fact that people fill them in and tell you how they feel and whether that be good, bad or indifferent, it means they care. If you can't get them to fill them in, they're not engaged and they've got apathy, isn't it? And you can't really work with that. At least if people are aggrieved and they're telling you, they're actually telling you to give you an opportunity to fix it. Yeah. And I think back to actually are the leaders listening are they prepared to fix it and there is some really quick wins and things that actually it doesn't take two minutes to sort out but actually they didn't know because they've never been raised because they've not got a culture yeah. where they feel they can raise these things mm-hmm. but actually it wouldn't take much to sort them out and then you build on that and then you know you also involve some of the people in well what do you think the solutions are because yeah. actually as managers or leaders in the business at whatever level you don't necessarily need to have all the answers but you do need to listen and if you ask the questions, I'm sure the people will come up with some solutions. Some of them might be wild and wacky and you kind of well, can't do that, but at least you've had a conversation about it. Yeah. And again, it's that communication about it, isn't it? And people's time is precious. Yeah. So if they've taken the time to fill that questionnaire in to give you that feedback, mm-hmm. then you need to show that you understand that. You yeah. understand the time commitment that they've put into it and you're mm-hmm. going to react. It, it might not be, yeah, it might not be reacting in the way that they want, but you can feed back what you're doing, the reasons why you're doing it, because they've trusted you enough to fill the form in and give you that information. They give you the feedback. And I think you can use tools like Employment Engage I was just thinking, we're going to move back on to recruiting, but I was just thinking, people talk about benefits all the time, like what, what benefits have I got in the business? Have I got enough? Am I, am I doing enough? And one client that we've got at the moment, she's very much like, okay, do I need to put two benefits in place? Do I need to put three benefits in place? And actually, from her point of view, it's, well, actually, why don't you take a gauge of the employees, what they think? Because you could put in place like, a, I don't know, an employee's assistance programme which costs the company, I don't know, £10 a month per employee to do. 
And then, you know, experience that we've had of that, people then don't use it. So then the company think, well, what's the point in having that in place and what should we do with it? So it becomes just a bit more disconnected. But actually, if you're addressing it with the employees and saying openly, what is it that you want? And actually, it could be simple. Um, one of her friends in business, she said, I was very, very certain when I set up the business that I wanted my employees to be able to go to their school concerts, you know, the kids' school concerts yeah. every single time. And I remember her saying to me, do we need to write that down somewhere? I was like, no, you don't. You know, like that's that's you're going to go to it, and you you want your people to, and that's I mean that's the way that we work yeah. with us. Mm-hmm. But it's from our point of view, it's a bit unwritten because yeah. actually mm-hmm. I wouldn't expect you to miss out on on anything to do with your kids or you know kind of wh- whatever your circumstances are. But I, I think that's a bit of an unwritten benefit. But actually, it would be good to know. Because some people just can't go, can they? And age-old, we've talked about this for years, Deb, about the holidays, you know, in one of the particular yes. companies whereby they're not allowed to take Friday and Monday to have a long weekend. They need to take two weeks off. Now, we both said we wouldn't be working there. No. Okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> definitely, not. definitely not. But that that is something that's kind of in place in that business. And actually, that puts in place the culture because then the sickness is higher because people want to go away for a long weekend and then they become sick so you, you have a knock-on effect because someone's put a hard and fast rule in that you know doesn't always need to be in place so I think a benefit check within that engagement I think is a really good place to start when you think about what additional benefits that you're going to use and put in place and I think that takes you back to culture doesn't it mm-hmm. because you grow that culture of flexibility and of loyalty so that you know people can see that they are going to have that flexibility to be able to go to their kids concerts open days whatever it needs to be but equally then you will get that payback from them you will get that loyalty Mm -hmm. from them that they they appreciate that yeah and they they work harder and and work for your business as a result of it and i think a lot of businesses run on goodwill yeah and i don't think that can be quantifiable i think it is removed when people are put in hard and fast rules, mm. such as the holiday mm. one, because actually, if you didn't have that in, your sickness would be less because they haven't to have that time off. And actually, yeah. they're working to rule when they're there, where actually it's got to be give and take with a business, that flexibility, that different approach, that everyone's got to have clear standards and expectations, but actually, pragmatically, what does that mean? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. what, what, what are those unwritten benefits or you know agreements and things like that because actually that's what creates that team approach and that driving that business forward and we're all in this together Mm -hmm. I think people want to feel involved in it and valued for what they do and if they don't feel everyone's pulling the same direction or it's all take and no give then that comes back to your culture and do I want to be part of that do I want to be around that yeah and we've got another business out doing some work with at the moment who all work virtually but the business want to control where people are working from you know, like, so obviously they work from home primarily, but if they're going to be away for a few days and they're going to continue to work while they're away, they want to know that they're working away, which is fine. They want to know, but they want to be able to say no. They want to be able to say no, we don't want you to work from that location, which doesn't provide that flexibility, but they also want people to work nine till five. And what we're, what we're trying to say to them is, Actually, people do need some flexibility. Sometimes they do need to take the kids to school. You know, sometimes their normal routine needs to change for whatever purpose it is. Or actually, they look after someone. They've got a dependent, you know, that they, they need to make sure that they're okay and set up for a modern. You know, so there are certain areas that kind of from that point of view there as well. But all of this kind of comes back onto the recruitment element as well, doesn't it? You know, so recruitment is such an important area. What what type of conversations have you been having out and about, Deb, around recruitment? I think... You know, it's no surprise that at the moment everyone is struggling to recruit. I think the the conversations range from people who want some help with recruitment because they're struggling to recruit the right person and, and how do they do that. I think, unfortunately, there are some conversations where people have that panic when they can't recruit. So they recruit someone that even at the 
point of appointment, they don't think it, it will work or they're not sure that it will work. And then there's a conversation afterwards because it isn't working. And then we need <laughs> to resolve that period. situation <laughs> and the probationary period comes into that. And I think that even goes down to, I've even found lately that there are some issues in terms of retention of other staff because people are maybe making offers to new employees because they're desperate to get them in that are more favourable than the people who already work for them. Yeah, that's the um, important point. You need to make sure the so, people that are in yeah. the business already are working at the same level as people that you're bringing in. Yeah. And those people can easily get other jobs because mm-hmm. there are so many jobs. So you then have staff shortages or retention issues because you can't retain the people that you've got. So yeah. I think at the moment it's so difficult that it's covering almost almost every area. Yeah, and and it's we, we've said this numerous times between ourselves is people are interviewing the companies now as opposed to just the companies interviewing the, you know the the candidate that's there. It is very much a two way street where kind of ten years ago you know being in that HR role you kind of had your pick of the people that you wanted to be able to recruit from and yeah. and that that two way process wasn't as it is now. No, no, it's, no. It's, it's definitely changed and it's definitely an employee's market at the moment because they're picking the jobs mm-hmm. and some people are leaving for whatever reason, and going to a job and knowing it's not a job they're going to stay at a long time, but they can use it as a stepping stone. And I think if you look at CVs for many different roles, you'll see they've got lots of different experiences for short periods of time. Mm-hmm. Where I think if you look at and reviewed CVs five, ten years ago, people had longevity. Yeah. Other businesses looked for that, mm-hmm. that loyalty, that longevity, that you know, you've learnt your trade and stayed in one location. So I think even looking from that point of view, CVs look differently yeah. and candidates are looking to go, do I want to commit to this business? What am I going to get from it? As opposed to the business going, is this the right fit? You know, Can they do the job around it? So it's definitely a shift and I think that won't change. I think it being an employee's market, I think it will stabilise in the future. Yeah. I think it's just when in the future, I think we've still probably got a good 18 to 24 months of it being like this where there's a pick of job yeah where there's lots of job so we've obviously worked with businesses around helping them in that recruitment aspect from the point of view of enabling them to be able to do the recruitment in the right way I mean I think that's one of the things because again it's about that impression you know we're talking about kind of that cultural brand element of it that's put out into the public domain but that's really important during recruitment process as well isn't it so I think we've been working with businesses to be able to kind of do a recruitment pack, haven't we, to be able yeah. to make sure that actually they know what the culture is, they know what the values are, they can describe who their customers are and that information can go into their support with the job description. But then there's fundamentals that can support the recruitment process, such as interviews, first stage, second stage, kind of what are you looking for, documentation that supports that. We've got kind of a pack now that we can ensure that businesses have got to make that process easier. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah, I think because it's such a, key area at the minute and I don't think there's any business that I've been in recently that we haven't talked about recruitment yeah as Deb said the breadth of the reasoning behind it can vary but recruitment's been in every single conversation without fail and I think some people don't know where to start they don't know what the elements of that are and how to start that off or what they look like or how to put a job description together you know they're they're really key things or again how to put that brand out there Mm -hmm. you know and and as we said, if people are doing the research, you know, and looking at it, it's from the very first starting point. What's the first thing you put out? It's your job advert. What does that represent for your business? And how does that golden thread follow through for all aspects of it until you're kind of at that stage where you found the right fit candidate? 
and you're going to do that verbal offer and then that that offer pack you know that's a, a cycle and people don't know all of the steps to it necessarily mm-hmm. or are stuck on some of the steps and I think having the recruitment pack just gives them a bit of a guidance on that and yeah. some some documentation and then some conversations with ourselves to kind of go all right okay I'm thinking about this where where do I start how do mm-hmm. I start actually this isn't working have you got any other options that you could maybe talk to us about yeah and I think that's so important about what they do at that stage but the other thing that moving on from the recruitment part of it is that point of the job offer going out and then them starting depending upon the, the level of the employee maybe kind of a week it might be three months but actually establishing what contact that you're going to have during that period of time as well yeah. you know because all well and good making a job offer in October and the start of the 1st of January but you've not been in touch with them at all during that time again it becomes down to an impression about what people want and what what people want to be engaged with as well. Well, I think it also demonstrates whether or not it's about a process. So I've ticked the box, I've done the job offer, it's out, the paperwork's gone right, I don't really need to think about that until they start. Yeah. Or actually, is it about, I want this person to feel part of this business, yeah. how do I make them feel like that, what contact do I want, what does that look and feel like for them, and how do I know that they're still engaged and being part of this business? Because you're right, you notice period, you know, we've had it where people have changed their minds in the notice period. And if you've gone somewhere, had a job offer and then never heard from them, you do start to think, is this a business I want to be part of or shall I stay where I know? Yeah. So, you know, that that's not good for either party, is it? No, definitely not. And uh, and so the next part of that is making sure that onboarding process is done right, isn't it? And it, that's not just about documentation and things as well. Do you want to pick that up, Deb? Yeah, I think, it, again, it's following on with that process, isn't it? Mm-hmm even before they come on board and, and once they do that you know the that induction is is done properly that they feel welcomed that bring it back to culture again that they you know that carries through your whole process so that people understand and feel part of that team and become effective as as soon as they possibly can because there's always you know however good someone is there'll be that delay before they they can be fully effective but the sooner you can you know integrate them into the team into the organization the more quickly that will happen. Yeah, and I think what was kind of running through my mind there is it's also about, you know, you, you get people in and you give them an idea of kind of what it is that they need to do and how they've got the job description and letting people go the first couple of months to be able to do that. But then giving people some clear direction once they're in there, isn't it? And and without putting a label around kind of performance management element, it's not about performance management, it's just about kind of giving them some clear objectives that actually this is what we're expecting in the role. And I've got a couple of meetings signed up for next week where people have come in, they've been in the company about six months, they're uncertain about, I believe there's a level of uncertainty around what it is that their role actually is within the business, around what they should be achieving. And they've got several people at the same level, but some people are kind of a lot faster on than other people, but there's no training plans in place and they've got no structure about how to develop. Then one doesn't pass the probation period and it's been extended for a period of time. But but it's about trying to bring that all in sync, isn't it? You know, giving people the opportunities, but giving people a clear direction of where it is that they go to. Because, again, that builds into the culture that actually we want you here, we want to look after you, we want to give you the best opportunities available to you and whichever way that we do that. So people... In essence, managers need to manage, don't they? They do, and pick that up if yeah. it isn't working. I mean, mm-hmm. if it is working, then there isn't any harm in having a conversation to confirm that. But it, particularly if it isn't working, have that conversation. Yeah. Because, you know, people don't know necessarily know what you want. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if someone isn't performing in those early stages, it might be just in those first few weeks that you can give them some more guidance and, and you know, make them the person that you need them to be for them to perform in the way that you need them to perform. Yeah. Because sometimes you'll you'll speak to people and they'll it isn't work and we need to dismiss someone in accordance with their probationary period. Have you had a conversation with them well? 
Yeah, it's all I, a bit I loose. Yeah, uh, there, there hasn't been any really structured guidance to, yeah. to help someone achieve what they need to in that role. And I don't think businesses fully utilise a probationary period, do they? I think they, they go through that recruitment mm. process, they've got the offer, the person's wet the notice, they start, they've done the niceties at the beginning, you know, they've done the tour, they've done the this is who people are and things, and then said, oh, you know, find your own way, or, you know, there's this, there's that, you need to speak to that person. But actually, do they ever go and check in? You know, I mm. always advise that in the first three months, every week you're sitting down and having a check-in, and it mm. can be a 10-minute. Mm. How's it going? What's working? What isn't? Have you managed to speak to the people you need to? But it's really them having some structure to it, yeah. Yeah. so that if it is going off track from either side, you've got an opportunity to nudge it back into it being where it needs to be or identifying actually this isn't working what needs to change or actually this isn't a good fit how do we have that conversation because the worst thing is for somebody to get to the end of the probationary mm. period and have it extended and not know why yeah. or secondly you go I've not had any conversations with them I'll just let them go through their probationary mm. period and then we get involved in a conversation a little bit later down the line as Deb's saying where they go actually it's just not working and you know they've been here six months I thought they'd have done this I thought they'd be at this well actually have you had that conversation with them you can't hold people mm. to account without telling them first what your expectations and your standards are. And if you don't give them that, people fill the gap in and they'll either do something or they'll do something that you don't want. Yeah. And then you into those difficult conversations where actually you didn't really need to do that at the beginning if you'd had those weekly check-ins. Yeah, and just put that structure around, isn't it? It doesn't, you know, a performance management element, obviously that's like your probation review, but I was just then kind of the next step thinking performance management doesn't always mean to be something negative. You know, I think sometimes it can be just about trying to keep people on track and in those meetings I'm going to have a kind of from an informal point of view that we're just going to sit and say, these things aren't working, these things what would be, this is what our standards and expectations are of you within the role. And I think... It, that enables anyone to be able to take the next step forward, doesn't it? Because actually the conversation with them may well be, well, actually, I'm a little bit lost. I don't really, I know what the job is, but actually all this information comes in. I don't know how to process it. I don't know what the the purpose of it all is. So those conversations just give people the opportunity to kind of remove any of their fears, but understand their expectations more. Yeah. And, and work out if it's for them, if it's what the recruitment story and how they brought, brought in the business matches yeah mm -hmm. because sometimes it's there's a little bit of a misalignment or actually the business has tried to bring somebody in a particular role and actually that wasn't really what they needed because mm -hmm. yeah. sometimes if they've got a panic as Deb was mm -hmm. saying earlier about actually I need somebody and even up to the point of appointment they're going this is not going to be the right person but I've got somebody in yeah a bad hire is worse than nobody at all yeah. and sometimes they're the conversations mm -hmm. that we have with businesses you need somebody who's going to be effective as opposed to somebody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, you're back into that cycle like you described there. And well, actually, they're not happy. They're going to ponder how many months is it. Then they're going to decide to look for a job. How many months is it? And actually, that's all wasted opportunity, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I think at that recruitment point, it's making the right decision as well because I think one of the other points that I've seen is that people get a good candidate. Mm -hmm. And because they know that it's difficult to get them, they're a good candidate, but what they're not a good candidate if they don't fit the role mm -hmm. that you're recruiting for. Yeah. They might buy into into your vision, they might buy into your culture, they might be brilliant, but if they if they don't fit your role, your job description, the job that you need them to do, yeah, it isn't going to work for them, and it isn't going to work for you either. Yeah, and I think well, I, I was having this conversation the other day with Haley actually about the, exactly the same thing. You know, like sometimes you can you think well, like yeah, it's a great candidate. Okay, right, okay, it's not going to be part time. It's going to be full time because you know, but actually that's not always the right thing to do. It's got to be about what the business needs yeah. as opposed to what the individual needs and how it grows. So I think that I think that's a really important point, making sure that people are 
the right people for the for the company based upon what the company believes that they need at that point when they're doing the recruitment as well. And from a backfill point of view of, of other employees that are coming through, it's a really good point. So one of the other areas has been kind of a hot topic for us over the last few months, well, really probably without saying the word again, since COVID, I think it's been grievances. I think the number of people that are putting grievances in now, employees within businesses, uh, are far more than what we ever saw before, wasn't it? it just, it, it, it's far more. And we've kind of taken some time and, and obviously we deal with the grievances that come in and we do that on behalf of our clients. Uh, one of the points around there is very often we do that because the managers are very uncertain about what to do and say and know that they need to do it right. So we, we often get involved with that. One of the things that I always say is that people are watching how it is that you're managing that type of situation. But from the point of view of the the individuals putting the grievance in, this really rolls back into what we're talking about, the employment engagement, you know, asking the questions. What point do employees get to that they feel like they need to put a grievance in? What do you what do you think, Deb? I think usually it's when they've tried every other way to resolve it. Mm-hmm. Usually they might it might start off with some some niggles, some little bits of complaints to managers, nothing particularly formal, but they'll start to raise things informally. You know, there might be an email that backs it up that just gives you an idea that it's a little bit more than just a complaint. But I think usually they have tried to informally they've tried to address it yeah. and then they feel that it, it isn't being actioned or it isn't being listened to and that's when it, it becomes a, a formal grievance yeah and, and what do you think you know when people put grievances in do you think you know obviously the grievance goes in there's a process that's followed we aim to do things in in a timely efficient way you'd like to think within a month of a grievance being put in that the outcome's being delivered and and hopefully if they've appealed against it that an outcome's done on the appeal as well but obviously that only comes with kind of depending on the grievances and the investigation that goes but i think one of the reasons that i personally think that that's a good thing to do it in a timely manner like that is because it's a very difficult situation so someone putting a grievance in I think takes a lot of courage to be able to do that in the first place I think it takes a, the effort to be able to do it the kind of the the go backwards and forwards probably in their mind if is it the right thing to do or not but then the the grievance has been put in against somebody or a team or you know kind of somebody else within the business which then puts a lot of onus on the other individual who might not have been expecting it or doesn't really realise that there's anything wrong what's your kind of thoughts around that because it's not so it's, it's quite emotionally charged doesn't it by the time you get to a grievance point it is and I think you've got to whatever the outcome of the grievance it's building that relationship up that working relationship up again afterwards mm-hmm. and I think it, it sort of shows you the importance of trying to resolve things before they get to a, a grievance stage yeah because sometimes you will meet with people for grievances and they'll they'll say well you know someone is doing something that upsets me I just want it to stop mm-hmm. yeah and you realize then that maybe at some point if a manager had stepped in and had even just said to the other employee this is what you're doing. Yeah. This is the impact that your behaviour is having. That that might have just stopped it at that point before it came formal, before it, someone had really worried and gone to the trouble of putting something formal in. Because most people don't want to do that. No, and I think we've we've talked again between ourselves around some business culture. Well, back to the culture. Business culture is kind of well, I can't do anything about it unless you put a grievance in. There's yeah. a grievance form come for the. Yes. And when we're coming across those type of things. It's difficult, isn't it? Because obviously you don't want that to be a culture within the business that actually a grievance is the only way that something gets done. Yeah. You really want to be seen as though you're being proactive within the business, don't you? Yeah, and I think it's about communication, isn't it? Because I think as Deb says, when people get to a grievance, they don't suddenly just one day decide I'm going to put a grievance in. There's probably been some signs prior to that and it's has have they been picked up? Has it been a bit of a conversation here or an off-the-cuff comment? But actually they're gauging whether or not someone's listening 
have they sent an email? Have they mentioned it to other people and other people have mentioned it? So the gauge and the temperature is to, is something going to be done about this? And if not, then they feel like their back's against the wall, that they're going to have to put a grievance in. I think if you've got a culture in your business where it's encouraged to put a grievance in before actually seeking a way of finding a solution prior to that, that's really hard because if they go to someone in a trusted position and they're going, well, there's a form, fill a grievance out because we can't do anything with it until you do that, that then puts them in that position of, well, I've got nowhere else to go. And actually, generally speaking, there is somewhere else to go before you get to that. And when we're asked to come in and support the business, you know, the grievance is generally already in. And then we're going through that process. And I do think once people have done that, they find it really hard to go through the meetings, but we have to do that. And I think time-wise is really key because once you've done that, you've set the ball rolling and actually you don't want it to be prolonged any longer than need be because you want an outcome because really what you're looking for is a resolve and one of our key questions when we have a grievance is what do you want as an outcome Mm -hmm. and the ones where actually it could have been resolved in a much simpler way they don't know what they want they just want it to stop as Deb Mm -hmm. said that's their answer I just want Mm -hmm. to stop I don't know what else I want but I want it to stop well actually that could have been stopped much earlier yeah Mm -hmm. And I think we've probably all dealt with grievances as well, where when you say come to that point of, well, what, you know, what is your preferred outcome? You know, you get answers like, I don't know. I just don't know how I can go back. I don't know how it can ever be repaired. And at that point, you might have lost a perfectly good employee yeah, because you didn't act sooner. And some people, it is such an ordeal to put in a grievance that they won't do it until they're absolutely at the point that they can't take any more. And, you know, you go back to the recruitment problems that you've got. Yeah. And, you you know, you could have lost someone for absolutely no reason. No reason. And I think one of the points that we're really making there is actually very often when, or not very often, but on occasions when people put grievances in that they feel like they can't do anything else in the business, they go sick as well. Yes. So you end up with two different processes, don't you? You end yeah. up with someone who's kind of on longer term sick who is struggling with the grievance process. Some people will engage and some people won't engage with it. But you're then trying to resolve the grievance. But then obviously it's then about the encouragement of getting back to work, which I think in the terms of probably people back themselves into a corner a little bit sometimes because they've been so upset by it they've gone sick then there's a grievance in and it's not necessarily the outcome that that they potentially want but then we haven't got them in the workplace to do that engagement element of them to get that smooth transition which means they stay off sick longer it runs on longer it it becomes more difficult to be able to get them back in the workplace from that point as yeah. well and that's not good for the individual or the business Definitely is it not. you know it's, it's it's not a resolve for them and i think the longer you're off for whatever your reason, the harder it always is to come back in the business because you've had that disconnect. Yeah. And we want to try and smooth that. As Deb says, you know, what what is it we can do? How do we repair the relationship? Because generally speaking, there's been a breakdown in a relationship somewhere. Mm-hmm. How do you repair that to a place that both people can be in the business or the teams can be in the business with who it is? And yeah. I think that's, that's the key part of it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Making sure that we're kind of it goes through as smooth as possible really to enable people to to be back in the workplace and I know I've been speaking about kind of that mediation element of it as well I think mediation is something that people I don't know I think there's a stigma that's attached to it but I think there's so many benefits that can do with that and actually you know bringing people in at an earlier stage to be able to do some mediation is certainly something that is going to be part of our conversations to be able to do that whether it's kind of informal or formal but actually if you can resolve those things at an earlier point then that may and could improve situations yeah. sooner and quicker so people yeah. don't have to get to that formality of a grievance being in. And I don't think people necessarily associate mediation in a workplace, do they? No. You know, no. I think they see it, you know, in a social setting or, you know, family setting or something like that. So actually, it's about knowing that that's an option because mm-hmm. I think 
you know, our role when we're in support and our clients is to give them options. Yeah. And I think to talk to them about mediation and whatever that looks like for them. But actually, nobody really wants to go through a grievance procedure if there's another no. option. Yeah. And I think it's about sharing what that could look like and feel like for all parties and if that's something that they want to engage in. I think who wouldn't want to resolve it yeah. in an easier and easier quicker way. and simpler way for, for all parties? Yeah, without a doubt. Well, thank you very much, ladies. You've been amazing, as always. And thank you very much for listening to the Real World HR podcast. It's been great just to be able to, you know, it's our, it's our type of conversation. We know exactly what we're talking about. And obviously, we do have many clients that would fit into each of those situations that we've talked about there. But obviously, that gives us the knowledge and expertise to be able to provide the information to our listeners. So thanks very much for listening to the Real World HR podcast. Please do head over to our show notes. Obviously, additional information is down there. One thing that we do have is a free HR health check what you can do on there the link will be in the show notes but you can link into that and you can see how your business is performing with regard to their hr needs too subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes and please do leave us a rating and review real world hr putting the human back into hr